Um, so does anybody know, we're in, the, we're in the series on Philippians, does anybody remember the WoW hit CDs? Like, like, you know what I'm talking about? Where every year, uh, <laughs> there you go. Every year, they come, it came out since I was younger. And by the way, I'm 29 for only another week. Um, so this is my last sermon in my 20s, so you guys better watch out. Like, I can get away with things in my 20s that I think when I turn 30, you guys are going to be like, Allie, chill out. So here we go. This is going to be fun. So, <laughs> but the WoW hit CD, I thought of this when I'm thinking of Philippians, because there would be two discs in each album, right? And so, and it would be split. On this one, there's 36. Used to, they couldn't actually fit that much on one. So there's 18 on each. And I just think of Philippians as this, um, if we were to look at the Bible, Philippians has a lot of verses we use all the time. So if the Bible had a wow hit CD or wow hits on scripture, Philippians would be on there multiple times, multiple times. Um, I can think of, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Don't worry. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Oh, that's Hebrews. Run the race marked out for you. That is in Philippians, I promise. And one of my favorites, well, actually, parents, I'm sure you, you might want to remember this one. It says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Right? So if you don't know that, that's actually in Philippians. If you're a business owner and you want to write that on your wall, do everything without... <laughs> Kurt, don't put that up in the office this week. Okay. So this is one of the most quotable because this is a book of joy. Paul is writing this. It's it's a little bit different than the other letters he's writing. And as we enter into this book, um, these are people that are very dear to Paul. Not that he doesn't love other people (laughs) and want the best for him, but he loves the Philippians. These are like his besties. And he's going to them and he's writing to them a message of encouragement. And I think this is why we tend to um, grasp this idea of joy in all circumstances. So today we're still in chapter 1. Pastor Kurt taught on chapter 1, 1 through 11 last week, and I'm going to camp on four different chapters, or four different verses, and we'll incorporate the whole thing throughout the day. So we're going to read, we're going to start out in Philippians 1, 27, and it reads like this. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then... Whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. Amen. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ— but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. Could someone say the struggle is real? (laughs) Oh, the struggle is real. Say it. The struggle is real. Right? So 
If we're going to look at this, Paul starts out this whole um, letter, and it's a little bit different than the way he writes to other people. So he always starts out his letters with a, I thank my God every time I think of you. He's this entrance, this way of um, telling who he's writing to and who is with him while he's writing. What's interesting and different about this is that Paul actually, before we get into verse 27, he, he's talking about himself. From verses 12 through 26, he tells you that he's in prison. He tells you he's with the palace guard. He tells you that people are, um, Christians are hating on him. He tells you um, that he, because of his faith, he's emboldened other people and that he's willing, you want to know another verse that a lot of people know? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That would definitely be on wow hits. We all know that one, and that's where he's telling them, all leading up to this, and he's talking about himself in an unusual amount in length, which is not normal for him, because when he talks about himself, it's usually at the end of a letter. So why? Why is he telling them this? And I think it's because, you know how sometimes you, you're with people, and you really like them, you like them a lot, but then, you know, they ask how you're doing, and you kind of give them a little bit right? And you love them. You're going to tell them the truth. You're not hiding something from them. But when you get around your best friends, when you get around your family, or you get home for the day, and you're talking with your husband, or with your wife, or with your roommate, what do you do when they ask you how you're doing? Oh my gosh, this day was so, and then this happened, and all of a sudden, and it goes on and on and on. There's a difference that happens because of the love between you. And I kind of sense this from Paul, this love of the Philippians. He goes longer. This is the longest time that he talks about himself in one stint in Scripture. And then he flips it on the Philippians in verse 27. And he starts to talk about the joy in suffering. And as I was thinking about this, this summer I was in Vancouver. <laughs> And this story came up when I talked, when I was thinking about suffering. And um, I was, I decided to go hiking. Decided to go hiking one day. My friend that I was with already left. And I decided to go drive up to Whistler Mountain. And I know a lot of you guys might know that that's where the Olympics were held. And so I went up there and I decided I wanted to take a selfie with the glacier lakes. That's it. Like, I didn't want to go hiking. I had my hiking boots on, did not want to hike. I just wanted the selfie with the lake so then I could say, I've been there, and then I can leave. And if you think that I'm the only one in this room who's ever done that, if you've done that, raise your hand. <laughs> Bailey, right up there at the computer. <laughs> so what happened was, is I started, um, I had just had food poisoning the week before, so I was exhausted. I hadn't been able to fully eat a meal, and I start on this hike, not thinking I'm going to be gone for long, not prepared at all. And I'm trying to find this lake, and I keep going. And everybody I'm asking, it's like, it's right around the corner. You're almost to the top. And I'm like, but, but there's children, four years old, running down. Like, how are they running? Because I can't breathe right now. How did they get up there? And I'm just like, if they can do it, I can do it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you kind of, that's rude, I know. But it's like, you start to kind of weigh your athletic ability against the people you see coming down the mountain. So <laughs> I, I spend two hours climbing up to the top of this mountain. And I have a video. It's embarrassing, one. Two, you might get a little motion sick in the very beginning. But um, welcome to my experience.
when you get to the top and you see that there's a lift that they're just not using. Oh my goodness. What? Canada. You guys like to work out too much. So I finally made it to the top after hiking up all the way up here for hours and um, just found out there's a chairlift. Literally right there. Right here. I think I have a little of tears. Like I feel like I could cry right now. Like legit. Like I might be accomplished, but I wish I did it this easy way. I can't even speak, I'm so cold. Bye. You might say, well at least you did it. Good for you for hiking straight up a side of a mountain. I don't care. I want it the easy way. I feel like there's a sermon in this, but I don't really want to, I don't want to learn it right now, you know? Okay, it's on loop. I feel like there's a sermon in this, but I didn't want to learn it today. <laughs> Today's the day. <laughs> Today is the day. And so I was just thinking of this and how much different it would be if I knew and I was prepared for the journey I was just about to go on. It was still going to take probably just as much time. And it was still going to take just as much effort, but actually because I didn't know the suffering that was going to, going to be, um, I was going to be in taking is the fact that it actually changed my perspective the whole time. I was miserable the entire time, all the way up to the top. And everybody's like, Allie, you made it. And I'm just like, who cares? <laughs> and everybody else, like when I saw that chairlift and people are just getting off, just running around, I was like, that's why those four-year-olds are running down the mountain. They got the chairlift to the top. And I just wonder if our perspective of what we're going against actually changes the exact same experience. And Paul is writing to the Philippians and he's saying, I'm suffering a lot of things. And he's not, the way that he writes this letter, you wouldn't assume he's in jail. You would not assume that, but he is in prison. And he's saying, I have joy because the good news is being preached. But guess what? There is suffering, but there is joy in suffering. He wanted the Philippians to know right out the bat. We're going to get to chapter 2 is there's joy in serving. Chapter 3, there's joy in believing. And 4, there's joy in giving. But he starts with joy in suffering. Because if we can understand that, the other stuff becomes a lot more enjoyable. So verse 27, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. So he starts this off, and as I was reading through this, there's a lot of, I mean, I almost pulled Pastor Kurt on Ephesians 4. Okay, I could have preached five different sermons on Philippians 1. And I asked the Lord, what is it that you want me to preach on? And all I came back to was this, this phrase, above all. When we read that, it's extremely critical we stop there and figure out what is he saying. In other translations, it says just one thing. Just one thing. Above all. Conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel. Live as citizens of heaven. This conducting yourselves worthy actually means, um, in the Greek, it means more than just like speaking and talking about the gospel. This is actual behavior. This is everything. This is your thoughts, your emotions, the way that you live your life. Conduct yourselves worthy. This word worthy, I think of 
When I'm reading things like this, I, I, I like math. So I tend to look at scripture like math equations. When I see for, then, so that, well, what was before that to equal this? And when I look at worthy, I find it as this scale. Your life worthy of the gospel. At all times, this weight, this, it should be equaling the same thing. We should live our lives worthy of the gospel that we have received. A consistency. This isn't occasionally live your life. Act as if this is your life. It says live a life worthy of the gospel you have received. Paul is calling them to consistency. And he's calling all of us to consistency. When we read scripture, we have to understand that they actually talked. He's writing to the Philippians, but we are benefiting from what he's writing to them. So we always need to understand who they are, where they are, what's the context to how they're understanding it, and then how can this apply to us? Because the Spirit, the Word is alive and active. Hallelujah. (laughs) But he's saying, live this life of consistency as believers. And I think it's a call for all of us to live our lives consistently as followers of Christ. So citizens, it says, live your lives worthy as citizens of heaven. Now this word would have pinged the ears of Philippians because they're a Roman colony and because of time, and I know dinner on the grounds is coming up next, I'm not going to go into all the history of Philippi. But okay, just a little bit. All right. So, okay, so remember in the history class when there's like, you hear Octavian Augustus and Brutus and Caesar and all the killings and fightings and Cleopatra. Yeah? Okay, you guys are awake. Great. Um, So whenever, or you listen in history class, I don't know, maybe only some of you. What happened is, is they actually fought over this colony of Philippi, this Roman colony. So they are very well known within the Roman Empire because they were fighting over this area, which is cool to me to hear about how history, our history we learn overlays with scriptural history and how it all plays out. It's intertwined because it's true. (laughs) And so it goes like that. And I just think it's cool to know that that that's where this happened. And when he says citizen, when he says citizens of heaven, the Philippians know that they are citizens of Rome, yet they're not on Italian soil. They have the tax cuts, the tax breaks, the obligations, the things that they have to owe is all the same as if they were in Rome, but they weren't in Rome. I think of American citizenship, the United States, and and people go through these processes of um, becoming a citizen and how much that means to them when they become a citizen of any other country. Whenever you have to work and go through all the classes, how much that means to them, I've traveled a bit, um, and there have been times where I've been so happy that I was American. Like, people, like, give you things. It's like, yeah! <laughs> Korea, they love you. Go to Korea. Um, and so, or, like, in, when I'd go to Europe, and everybody's in lines at the, at the airport, and they all have their EU passport out, and it's like this maroon passport, and I'm there with my blue American passport, like, I'm that American right now, you know? It's like, yeah! I'm different, like, 
Or also, I've been in places where I have told them that I was Canadian. (laughs) So (laughs) there have been times because of the hostile, because how people would respond, I lied to them about it. Or I didn't speak up about where I was from. Or I just say I'm from North America. (sighs) And another time I was in Italy, and because I was not from Europe, I actually got out of a ticket, which was fantastic. Here's a side note. If you go to Europe, if you get on a bus, buy a ticket. I don't know. Um, Seems reasonable. I didn't know. I just got into Florence, first time there. I just jumped on the first bus. And then there's an officer. I got a ticket because I didn't have a bus ticket, $400. The great thing is, is they write our birthdays backwards. Like, I don't know if you know the date and the months. So it didn't match my passport. (laughs) Okay. Anyways. um, And they actually told me that because I, they said most likely, because I live in America, they're not going to take the time to actually send the ticket to America because it costs them more money and trying to send them if people don't pay it. So I got out of a ticket scotch-free because I was American. Probably Australia would work too. Anywhere, just not in Europe. And honestly, I, I think of that. Even within the citizenship of heaven, there's times where we, um, we don't want to speak up. We don't want to speak out because we're afraid of what somebody might say in rebuttal to what the gospel is. Or there's times where we actually get, a, get, a, get out of jail free card because of what Jesus has done for us. We are now citizens, and it's not counted against us. Hallelujah. There's this idea of citizenship we have to grasp hold of because Paul is like telling you above all else, you are a citizen of heaven. It matters. It matters so much. Verse 27 goes on to say, then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you were standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. So if you live your life consistently as believers and you conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel, then, if then, math, then you will be united. If we keep our eyes focused on preaching the good news, then we will live with one purpose, one spirit, one faith. Does it remind you of Ephesians 4? (laughs) Live your life worthy of the calling you have received. Living as one body, one spirit. One, one, one. Paul is trying to get this point across. And what we missed in the first verses, and I'm going to go back here um, a little bit. 15 through 19, Paul is talking to them and he says, I'm not sure if it's on the screen, but. It's true that some, and he's talking about other people, he's in prison, he says it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach out of Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful for me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached. Either way, 
So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead me to my deliverance. In this way, it's vindication, my defense. Your prayers lead to other people's vindication. The prayers of the saints and the power of the Spirit leads to other people's deliverance. That's not the point, but that's a really powerful scripture verse right there. So I needed to say that. But what he's saying is, is there's people out there that are preaching the good news out of selfish ambition. And what scholars believe is it's probably, um, they're thinking uh, maybe like Jewish Christian um, preachers going out there and saying that you're not actually allowed to preach to the Gentiles. So they had a doctrinal misunderstanding. Paul was preaching Gentiles. They said, you can't. And Paul says, at the end of the day, it hurts my feelings. (laughs) But I choose to focus on the main thing, and that is that Christ is being preached. If they have false motives, are they preaching about Jesus? Because that's his main joy, is that Christ is being preached. Only Christ, only God himself can judge them for preaching out of false motives. What happens is if we focus so much about the false motives and the insincerity is that we become bitter. Paul chose to focus on the main point instead of the fact that he was hurt. Within the church, we might have different understandings, different beliefs of things that I would call, and I do call, second tier, I don't know, second tier, I don't know, things. (laughs) What a great word. Um, Just used for everything. These things are important. You should know your doctrine. You should know why you believe things, and I, I believe that very firmly. But is it that Jesus is the Savior, that he came and died on the cross, that God is his Father, that the Holy Spirit is working through us, and that he has given the church the power of the resurrected Christ to live this out and to be the hope to the world till the day that he returns and gets us? Now, if that is the main thing, let's keep it the main thing. Everything else, how you worship— If women are allowed to preach, I threw it in there. I just did. Okay. (laughs) Not kidding. God's straight. I'm scared. Um, I'm kidding. Um, Different beliefs on whatever. I can't even concentrate. You know what I'm saying? If we are so wrapped up in that, what's happening is we are fighting each other while the world looks on. (sighs) And if you know me, unity is my holy discontent. I will preach on this all day long because we are called to something more than what we're living to right now. The world around us is divisive. It is polarizing. It is in such division and there's breaks my heart, the shootings that are going on, the bomb threats, the words being spoken on Facebook. Those are serious. What you say on there is serious. If you are tearing down other believers too, that is serious. And I say these things not out of guilt or condemnation, but because we are so much better than that. And this world needs us better than that. And I am not up here because I believe that this is hopeless. I'm standing up here only because I believe there is a great hope. He has something for us. And we have to keep the main thing, the main thing. The next part, verse 28. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed. But that you 
are going to be saved. Don't be intimidated by your enemies. It's a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed and that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. What I love about this is they say that this phrase, even by God themselves, God himself, is a lot like what they would hear um, in the Colosseum when gladiators would be fighting. And have you ever seen the... Okay, don't be too Christian. Have you ever seen Gladiator, the movie? <laughs> so there's a point where he's like, where he decides if somebody's going to die or somebody's going to live. And he like sticks his thumb out like this, right? And he just like, he's standing there and he's either like, yes, you live. Or like, no, you die. And there's a point where they say, only God himself. You will only be saved even by God himself. Or you were only saved by God himself. This phrase would have rung different in their minds. And he's saying, no matter what you're doing, but you have to figure out the unity part first. Maybe not first, but it's going to be helpful in this fearlessness. Don't be intimidated by your enemies. Have you ever been night hiking? <laughs> Anybody been night hiking in here? I love participation. Okay. I have been night hiking with one other person, and I've been night hiking with about 12 people. And which one do you think is scarier? Hiking with one other person at night. You only have one other person to push in front of you and run. Like, <laughs> when you have a group of people, there's this fearlessness that starts to, a comfortable thing of walking in darkness because you have more people around you doing it with you. So if we have unity, we're most likely to step up and step against and say and push against our enemies. Because we know that we're flanked on all sides of people going the same way we are protecting us. But it doesn't have to be that Paul is sitting in a prison cell and he's preaching the good news and the palace guard hears about Jesus. And the other Christians that hear about it, they're emboldened because of his fearlessness. Because of his fearlessness, it gave boldness to other believers. His prison became his pulpit. We have to wonder, what are these things that we're going through, these sufferings that God's just saying, let me let it be your pulpit. Let me move in this and create this in such a way to where you can find joy. Because the gospel is being advanced either way. Either way. So consistency, unity, and fearlessness. This straight betwixt two is what Paul would say. Dad, you have a great message on that? Plug. Um, I almost just stole it, by the way. I was just like, <laughs> no, Paul talks about this. It doesn't matter if I get out of prison, if I live or die. Because if I live... It's as if I'm Christ to you guys. If I die, I am with Christ. So whether I live or die, okay, <laughs> this is great. The Roman culture would say stoicism, they didn't really give a lot of value to life, but more so the afterlife. And when I started thinking about our culture, our culture tends to give so much value to life that we actually are scared of death. It's that thing, that great fear or the thing we don't talk about. Even if you're not like, fearful of it, you don't want to talk about the eternal part of that. 
Even within the church, we don't talk about eternity enough, I don't think. To think about heaven, and Paul is saying, okay, if I live here, life is good, death is better. Not that he's going to choose to end his life, but he's saying, for me to be here, it's better for you. Like, wouldn't you want to be, like, able to say that? Like, because I'm here, your life is better. Like, <laughs> But he only is able to say that because of who he is in Christ, not because of what he's doing. And that's where your life, you living out the best way consistently and in unity and fearlessly actually emboldens me as a believer and is better for me. It's fruitful work for you. I get to partake in the fruit. Thank you. This is how this works in the body. But to die is to be in the presence of Jesus. But he said, but just because I, I think it's actually better that, you, that I'm still alive, I think I'm probably going to get out of prison. So he says that. I'm probably going to get out of prison, but it doesn't matter if they take my life. I have nothing to fear. Because if I die, I'm somewhere better. That heavenly place in the presence of God. And that's where it says in, in the Psalms that our joy comes from being in the presence of God. We can have that now. But it's something that's eternal. Joy is eternal. That's why we need to remember that when we accept Christ as our Savior, we are then, death has died. We only have life, good and better, ahead of us. To keep that in mind, the joy of our salvation is eternity. We tend to look so much right here and be afraid to voice what Christ is doing in our lives. I, I confessed this to women's Bible study the other day. Um, I sometimes am afraid to post things on social media, mainly videos, <laughs> because I'm afraid of what other Christians are going to say to me or what other unbelievers might say to me. Sometimes I don't do it because of that very reason. I am confessing that to you. The fear of not getting someone's approval can hold us back. And God had to deal with me on that so deeply a couple weeks ago when I confessed that. Because it's uncomfortable. But it's advancing the light into a dark world. It's not easy. I, it, I understand that. But Paul is saying that if we can overcome the thought that death is the end. If we, if we can overcome our fear of any of that, then actually we can walk in anywhere and it doesn't matter. Because no one, not even people in this room, can do something to you to take away the joy that because of heaven's, um, because of your citizenship in heaven, you have been granted. It's our choice if we take that up and live daily in such a way. Verse 29, it says, For you have been given... Not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. And I repeat that because this is the main verse that popped out to me. Trusting in Christ and suffering for him. Trusting and suffering. There are people around this world, the persecuted church, who get this. They trust in Christ and they're willing to suffer. And I know that sometimes we don't want to bring up like something so, that's so far out or 
it seems dramatic. It's not dramatic. People are losing their lives because of the gospel. And it should weigh heavily on us, not out of guilt, but praying for our brothers and sisters and the power of the Holy Spirit can bring deliverance. Prayer and power, we're part of the prayer part. We should know these things and be aware of them. I was reading on the World Watch List. It says 215 million Christians every year are persecuted in some way. Every month, 255 Christians are killed. 104 are abducted. 180 Christian women are raped, harassed, or forced into marriage. 66 churches are attacked. And I'm not sure if that includes synagogues. Our faith has a Jew. <laughs> That's our, these are our brothers and sisters. It should break our hearts. That's at home. That's not just far away. And 160 Christians are detained without trial and imprisoned around the world. Again, this is not to make you feel guilty at all. We did nothing to be born where we've been born. God himself chose that we live here. But with that, we have obligation. We have a privilege to serve them in a different way. We shouldn't feel guilty about that. We should look at it and see, how can I come alongside them when they're facing something that I don't have to face on a daily basis? So if he's talking about persecution, he's actually talking to the Philippians, and the Philippians most likely at this point weren't facing as much execution as they are facing economic opposition and oppression. Economic oppression and, I'd say, societal ostracism. Economic and societal. How do you think we're doing around here these days? What if... Our government takes away our giving receipt at the end of the year for church tithe. Are we still going to give? What if we can't meet together? How will we meet? What if we, what if, what if, what if, what if our privilege of coming together in this is taken away? I think our society wants the trusting part without the suffering part. We are way too comfortable. And as I look at the Philippians, I'm like, okay, Lord, so here's what Scripture says. So how does that apply to us? And better yet, God, how does it apply to me? And you know what he told me? Not in an audible voice, just so. Gotta always throw that in there. <sighs> he said, Your comfort is confusing you. Hmm? <sighs> confusing me? What do you mean? And as I started to hang on to that, I'm like, My comfort, the things around me are keeping me from ever really feeling this suffering. How many of you? trick question coming up. How many of you would say that your life got easier after you gave your life to Christ? Exactly. Okay, so nobody raised their hand, mainly because I probably told you it was a trick question. 
You guys are listening. See, we don't have we don't have the threat of losing our lives over this in our day to day. But he's saying, will you give this up? Because when we come to Christ, actually, before we come to Christ, it's a lot easier to live the ways of the world. Actually, life seems a little bit easier because we don't have to do things. We're not convicted about things. We don't feel guilty about things. Sometimes it feels easier. Feels key. Seems easier. But then when we live our life to Christ, give our lives to Christ, God started telling me whenever I finally gave it over to him, he's like, you got to give that friend group up. (laughs) But I hang out with them every day. That's not going to take you to where I want to take you. The movies have changed. The music I listen to has changed, and it's not out of legalism, but he's saying that's not what's best for you. It's just not what's best for you. But when we give something up, there's suffering in that to some extent. To trust in the Lord and to live our lives worthy of the gospel, we are going to have to give things up, even when it hurts. We don't have to go and seek pain. In all actuality, I'm going to show you how I got off that mountain. Bailey? (laughs) Isn't it beautiful, though? There, there, finally got off the lift. (laughs) Anyways, I wanted to show you that because I don't, you don't have to go back down the mountain just because you feel like it's better to suffer. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I opted for the chairlift. I've been doing too much suffering, you know, and God gave me a chairlift and I took it. Take the chairlift. Take the chairlift, you know? It's okay. And if the band wants to come up, come up, what I'm wanting to tell you, it's about perspective. Your comfort is keeping you from experiencing joy. And I look around our society and I'm wondering why we don't seem to have as much joy. We're in the pursuit of happiness. I mean, it's in our constitution. This pursuit of happiness where things around us are all playing out in a way that makes us feel better. No, don't, you know, don't tell your kids that they came in last place. It'll make them feel better. (laughs) We're all in this, like, make sure everybody's happy. Make sure everybody's okay. And obviously you care about people. I'm not saying don't do those things. But I'm wondering if our comfort... The comfort of the money that we get in is keeping us from experiencing the fact that if we sacrifice, that God actually pours out the double portion. And I've experienced it in my own life. Our time, our efforts of showing up at church, of serving, of spending time in the Word, those don't just come naturally all the time. They say that whenever you're suffering... It's something, it's like a sacrifice to pay for. And when you get to the point where you don't want to pay for it anymore, it's because it ceased to have its value in your life. And I'm wondering, what are these comforts that are keeping you from consistency? The comfort of consistency. It's easier to just show up when you want to. It's easier to cancel plans with a friend when you've already told them that you're going to be there. It's easier to do that. Because it's more comfortable. 
it's harder sometimes to get up and still come anyways and be consistent. To show up because that shows that you trust. I think that integrity, that trust, that basis, that people can trust you is because you trust in Christ. And you're willing to suffer and sacrifice so the good news is seen through your life. Even if you don't say a word, consistency is rare in our culture. What if it's the comfort of, um, maybe comfort is keeping us from finding unity. It's easier to stay in our little shells, our little bubbles. It's easier to do life that way. It's harder to sit across the table from somebody that has a different viewpoint than you. It's hard to have those conversations. But if we know at the end of the day it's for our love and for our unity with somebody else, then maybe we can give up that comfort. Maybe it's the comfort of complacency. Is it keeping you from being courageous? I know it has for me. I had to deal heavily with this one to ever even be able to preach this to you. Courageous. Don't be intimidated by the enemy. The God of heaven, heaven's armies are on our side. He's on our side. Or we're on his, better yet. (laughs) So what is this that's keeping us from experiencing joy? And I believe the Lord wants us to recognize that in the Western culture, that it's our comfort that in fact is keeping us from joy because there is joy in the suffering to trust him and to suffer for him. So as we close today, if you guys would like to stand up with me, if you're able, what I would like for you to do is just, if you want to, you don't, you can take whatever posture you'd like, but um, to just think of those things where you know you're just like, I know I need to give that up. Where you've told God, like, I know it'd be better for me if I didn't do that, but not yet. It would be better for me if I made a different group of friends. It would be better for me if I spent time in your word. It would be better for me if I showed up consistently to the community of believers who need you. We need you. We need you consistently. It takes sacrifice. Maybe that's what it is. And maybe it's something that I just don't experience, but you do. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. If I just gave up eating that way, then I would be in better physical shaped to advance the gospel. It's holistic. What are those things that you just, it's not about the now, it's about the joy waiting for us because Jesus in his obedience set this example for us. He's not asking us to do something he never did. For the joy set before him, Hebrews 12, 2 says, for the joy set before him, that is that we are in heaven with him. He endured the cross and he scorned our shame. And now he's sitting at the right hand of the father. He endured the cross He suffered immensely. He scorned our shame. Hallelujah. Why? For the joy set before him. What's that joy? The joy is that we get to be with him forever. He did that so we can be with him in eternity with the Father. He did it for you. That's his joy. It doesn't make the circumstance feel any better, but it makes it easier knowing that the outcome is going to be worth it. And if we can deal with our comfort and decide to sacrifice something, know that the outcome is worth it. Jesus loves you and wants to be a part of your life. Every part of your life consistently 
a part of your life. And so just think of those things, and we're just going to pray, and they're going to sing a song while we're just thinking of this, that we just lay it down. We think of it, and we ask the Lord to give us strength to lay this down, to experience the joy of trusting in Christ and suffering for him. Dear Heavenly Father, we just praise you for this time. We ask and we lift up these things to you. Bring to our mind those things and let us, let us sit in that. It's okay, Lord. Let us, let us be, become comfortable with not being perfect in your presence. To lay the pride aside, the things that make us feel better, to experience the joy of our salvation, the joy of the fact that we get to spend eternity with you, Lord. So just move in this time as we sing, Lord, and give us the strength to live this out. In Jesus' name.